All right. Hey, good morning. Uh, great to see you this morning here live. Good morning. Uh, we have a couple venues joining us here on Harrison Lane uh, over in Amps Blaine. Good morning to you. And then uh, out in Roan County, good morning to you. Down in Bearden, good morning as well. And we are still in Jude from last weekend. So uh, as we pick up here, um, I- I've shared this with you before, but, but how I'm wired. When I, when I am overwhelmed, I do nothing. That's kind of how I roll. When, when there seems like too much, I do nothing. I, I, I choose no options. And that's kind of how I feel with Jude. By the time I got through where we went last week in Jude, as he, by the time he's laying out the problem before us, it's, it seems so overwhelming. I'm like, well, this is just hopeless. Let's just give up and move on to another book. But Jude actually has hope for us. He, he rolls it out in a pretty power-packed little section. And, and here's the thing. As we continue in Jude, it's really important that we would buy into the idea that, that we were not made to follow Jesus alone. We say this a lot. If you're around two rivers, this may have been the first time that you've heard this. If you're not around two rivers, if you've been around here for a while, you've heard this before. But, but the idea of ju- uh, just me and Jesus and that's all I need, that's not, that's not a Bible thing. If you feel like I don't need the community of faith, um, you know, all I need is just me and Jesus and I'm good. That's, that's all I need. Um, but, or, or even worse, maybe you think that you and God have some kind of arrangement you have a deal? Well, you see, God and I have a deal. You, I want to encourage you with this. You don't have a deal. There's only God's deal. God, God gets to make the deal, okay? And the deal God has made is based on a community. And it's only very modern, this idea that all I need is just me and a personal relationship with Jesus, and I'm good. Nope. Not, that's not, a, that's not a, a biblical view of following Jesus. That's a humanistic view of following Jesus. And so the call here in Jude's letter we saw last week is to a community. And to be part of a community, it requires personal response, okay? So it's never less than personal response, but it is definitely more than personal response. And we're going to call you to that, Two Rivers Church, because we love you. We love you enough to call you to community, to call you to following Jesus together. And if we're going to follow Jesus together, it requires this thing called word and spirit DNA. That's what we're going to see. All of the hope that Jude points towards is building upon something that we could call word and spirit DNA. It's the DNA of a New Testament follower of Jesus, building our lives upon the word of God as the spirit of God breathes life into it. Following Jesus together requires word and spirit DNA. And so we're going to do just a little bit of review. We're going to pick up at the beginning of Jude's letter. I I super encouraged this morning, somebody asked me a question. Hey, in the Bible Project video on Friday, we watched that video and they said Judah. They said it's Judah and they call him Judah through the whole thing. Yeah, it's Jude, Judas actually in the Greek and Judah. Okay, but we're going to use Jude because that's what it says in your Bible. Um, so, so yeah, let us know that you're playing along by asking great questions. It's okay to do that. Here we go. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. 
Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Here's, here's where we're starting, okay? The audience. Who's the audience? Uh, Just a bit of review. It's a letter to followers of Jesus about the danger in their midst. Okay, this is to followers of Jesus, not about the dangers in the culture, not about the, the, the Roman occupation that's going on, not about an overthrow of the government. No, it's about, hey, there's people who have crept into the community of faith and you need to watch out because they're saying the grace of God is less than, not more than. They're saying the grace of God, it just allows you to do whatever it is that you want to do. He says, be careful. Be careful of those people. You see, the problem that Jude is pointing to is in the building. It's in the room. It's not out there. That's not what he's talking about. Is there a problem out there in the world? Yeah, yeah, but... We can talk lots about that. That's not what Jude's talking about. He's talking about that, hey, what's happened is the way of the world has crept into the community of faith. And so this is looking in your midst. So what does it look like to be people who are transformed by grace? The grace of God allows us to embrace God's process of transformation. The grace of God allows us, we said last week, to be people who are submitted to Christ, who live under Christ's authority, and God calls us to a life of transformation and and being recreated in the image of Christ and growing in the image of Christ. And the problem here in verse 4, it says that they've they've perverted the gospel, and this word sensuality in verse 4 That's not a word I use commonly, and and that word in particular here isn't talking just about, when we think sensuality, maybe we're thinking um, sexuality or sexual perversion. That that includes that, but it's more than that. It's talking about that you're a, a person who casts off restraint. You're a person who pursues whatever it is that you want to pursue. So whether that's the love of money, whether it's the, the love of power, whether it's um, sexual perversion, whatever it is, sens- sensuality means you pursue the thing that's good for your senses, that, that you're just pursuing the thing that's right for you. Okay, it, you, you do you. Pursue the thing that's right for you. That's the message of the world, okay? And that's crept into the church. It doesn't matter what you believe is what's most important and how you feel is most important. So you just do that. These are the people who've crept into the church. And the problem is they're, they're displaying a fake gospel that leads to destruction. And that was the, the, the point of despair for me. As you come verses 5 through 19, this, this overwhelming sense of God's coming judgment and destruction on those who've crept into the church. And, the, and they're saying, it, it doesn't matter. You can pursue whatever it is that you want to pursue. And, and this message today is as relevant as ever. And many of you have some stuff in mind, but I want to challenge you. that This includes people who think that our hope is in anything other than Jesus. I want to double down. Anybody who thinks our hope is in something other than Jesus, we need to go, wait, 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 let me back up. My hope is only in Jesus. That's it. That's it. It's not saying other things aren't important. It's just not my hope. 
And when we discover that my hope is only in Jesus, in the midst of the struggle of what's going on, we're going to look when we get to the end that we can be people who are filled with joy, like, like Jude challenges us at the very end through this incredible little closing two sentence talking about the power of God. Then in a world that's a mess, we can be people who are filled with joy. Why? Because we're not facing coming destruction. We're a people with hope. In Jude's letter, there's, there's a contrast between the destruction of the false gospel and the hope of those who've embraced the true gospel. We are a people of hope. And this is what Jude is pointing towards. And so we're going to skip down to verse 20 because we finally come to the solution. After talking about all of these Old Testament examples and extra biblical examples uh, that, that he's pointing towards the, the judgment of God coming on those who are opposed to God's, God's um, plans, God's purposes, he then says this, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Here's the solution. Build upon the gospel by the Holy Spirit's power, demonstrating love for Jesus and others. That's the solution. You could call that word in spirit DNA. That's the solution to build upon the gospel by the Holy Spirit's power, demonstrating love for Jesus and others. This is how you overcome the problem of people proclaiming a false gospel in our midst. And that's true if they're proclaiming that the grace of God um, doesn't requ uh, require us to embrace transformation or whether they're teaching some kind of false doctrine, okay? It doesn't matter. This process that he lays out here it, is, it works for all of them. And so I want to start by talking a little bit about word and spirit DNA. If you've been around Two Rivers, this concept isn't new. You're like, okay, I've heard this before. I want to encourage you to keep paying attention. And, and if you've not, maybe you're like, wow, what is this idea of word and spirit DNA? First of all, if we were going to break it down into a couple parts, to be a, a word DNA, we're talking about being people who are word-dependent followers of Jesus. And we talk about that all the time because it's a value that we have. Well, what does it mean to be people who are word dependent? It's people who are actively engaged with scripture. Now, it's beyond just having a quiet time, okay? And I'm going to say some stuff uh, this weekend. I, it doesn't mean I'm opposed to having a quiet time, okay? I, I'm not opposed to that. I'm for it, okay? I vote yes, do that, and, okay? I, and I'm not even saying start there. If you're like, you know what? I've tried that. That doesn't take for me. Welcome to the club. It doesn't take for me. I don't get that. There's other pastors on our staff. They talk about, you know, just me and Jesus and being alone in the Bible. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. What are you talking about? I don't know. There's some pastors on our staff. They have powerful encounters that way. Others of us are like, I don't know. That's never worked for me. So what are you talking about? I'm talking about active engagement throughout the day with the word of God. That works for me. Active engagement throughout the day with the word of God. And what does that look like? We've never had access to the scriptures like we have in the days in which we live. Throughout all of human history, the only way that we could encounter 
the scriptures of God was in community. They're, 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 it's, a, it's a group of writings that are written to the people of God. They are community literature. Even the letters, and we're going to see one in this series, that is written to an individual, ultimately we take as a community and we apply it to us individually, but it's always required that we receive this teaching in community. And you're here or you're in a venue on one of our other campuses, and you're like, yeah, Dave, we're here. We're in the room. We know it's about hearing the scriptures in community. That, that's the essence of what it's always been about. But we have a gift that the people throughout all history never had. We have immediate access to multiple translations of the Bible. Just pick up our phone and, and we can have it read it to us. The Bible's meant to be read aloud. It's, it's the, it's the, you, you want a, the most profound experience, have somebody read it to you while you read it both. Like, Am I supposed to read it? Sure. Am I supposed to have other people read it to me? Yeah. Which am I supposed to do? Yeah. But it's not just I had a quiet time in the morning and then I went about my day. No, how do I keep this active engagement with the scripture? And so that's why we do live it out. Isn't so you would have a quiet time. Here's the secret. That's not a quiet time. It's a catalyst. It's how do I start a conversation with Jesus based upon the scriptures that catalyzes me following throughout the day? How do I keep on following Jesus throughout the day? That's what we're talking about, people who are being word dependent. That's word DNA. Well, what's spirit DNA? It's being people who are empowered by the spirit of God. Well, what are you talking about? It's people who are paying attention to the indwelling Holy Spirit and how he's communicating to us and how he's empowering the word of God to come to life. Here we're talking about the Holy Spirit empowering us to overcome sin, to talk to other people about Jesus, to live in a way that reflects Jesus' character, to transformation. That's what we're talking about. Now, and, and sometimes we can break this down into those two parts, but here's the most important thing. It's the and in the middle. In your big idea, circle the and. The and is the most important part because the two cannot be separated. And oftentimes what happens is people separate it and we break it into, well, I, I had my Bible reading part and now I'll do the prayer part, which I call the spirit part. And I think that these are two separate things. No, the power is found when we understand that this is one thing and I can't rightly understand the scriptures without the illumination is what it's called of the Holy Spirit. And I can't rightly understand what the spirit is saying without, without rightly understanding the scriptures. Otherwise, it leads into me doing all kinds of wacky, crazy things based upon my humanness, and I just count it as the Holy Spirit in me. And so it requires that we live this kind of life, the and kind of life. It's word and spirit DNA. And what, what we're talking about here is ultimately the life that God pointed towards in the Old Testament, that he had said that his people were going to be a transformed people. In Jeremiah chapter 31, where it says, for this is the covenant, in Jeremiah 31, 
uh, he's talking about a new covenant that he's going to give to his people. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That there's going to be a transformation. He talks about that we would be a people who, who exchange a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. That we will be a people who are, are changed and we have the, the indwelling Holy Spirit who's guiding us in real time. This is the life. Jeremiah, as he writes this, he's, he's talking about being a people who are following Jesus based upon word and spirit DNA. And in particular here, you're like, well, wait, he had said um, that I'm going to make this with the house of Israel, if you were paying attention. And, and it goes on, like this is now the people of God. When we see house of Israel here, he's not talking about the nation of Israel, as you think about Israel as a geopolitical country on the other side of the world. That is not what Israel means here. He's talking about my people, and this has happened. This isn't going to happen in the future. This has happened. This is now the people of God. And, and you're like, why do you say that? Because Paul says it. Who's a true Israelite? Who's a true child of Abraham? Who's a true child of God? It's those who have embraced Jesus. That's how you become a child of God. No matter what your ethnic heritage is, no matter what your religious background is, whether you were Jewish or whether you were Gentile, it just means every other thing outside of being Jewish, it's only in Jesus that we find hope, just Jesus. That's it. God's one plan for the whole world is Jesus. And that's playing out today through the people of God. No matter what our background is, God's people are built upon his active presence and upon the scriptures. So if we wanted to sum it up, this maybe is overly simplified, okay? But the word of God provides the content and direction for life and the spirit of God empowers and enables followers of Jesus to live out those truths. That's the New Testament DNA. That's biblical DNA. That's word and spirit DNA of a follower of Jesus. And in order to do that, that requires that we would embrace a whole life of following Jesus together. And one of the indicators that that's happening it is borne out in a, in a letter that Paul writes to the church in a region called Galatia. And we're going to actually, this spring, we're going to go through this letter, Galatians. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. In chapter 5, you may be some super, super familiar with this. But here's the indicator that the Spirit has empowered our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Notice there, it says that the fruit of the Spirit, sometimes people say the fruits of the Spirit, no, the fruit of the Spirit, which is it? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Which one of those things? Yes, it's a thing. That's the thing. Which one of those things? That's the thing. All of it together is the thing. That's the fruit. That's what we demonstrate as we're living a life transformed by Jesus. So Jude has a knack for punch, uh, packing a bunch of things in a very few words. But here's what's important that we would understand that every command that he's about to give is based on your relationship um, with other Jesus followers. Everything that he's talking about is based upon community, okay? So the Bible Project guys have fully embraced um, the, the idea of using y'all 
when it comes to teaching the Bible, and they're from the Pacific Northwest. They're from Portland, and they use it all the time. Why? Because there's just no good English word like y'all, and so we're going to use it this weekend. We're going to talk about it. This is a y'all thing. That, that, is, it, is it a personal thing? Yes. It can never be an us thing if it's not a me thing. It can never be a we thing if it's not first and foremost being played out personally. It has to play out personally, but it's more than that. We're not going to, as God's people, overcome the threat within the church if we're not engaged personally, but we, then we have to engage collectively as God's people. And so the first thing is build together on the true gospel. Build together on the true gospel. Jude refers to this as the most holy faith. When he says the most holy faith, he's not talking about your personal faith. This isn't the personal commitment that you've made to become a follower of Christ, being born again by the Holy Spirit. That's not the faith. It's the faith as a thing. We could call it the gospel. It's all of what we believe. That's the faith. Build upon the all of what you believe, the gospel. And so what is the true gospel? It, it's a, a gospel that we talked about last weekend that, that says, um, I, I'm going to exchange my life for new life in Christ. The word is repentance. Now there's a word, repent, that gets a bad rap. It's one of the most positive words in all of scripture. And, and that word means to go a different direction. So if I'm going this way, repent means that I go the other direction. And so I have embraced the idea that, that I'm, going God's way. And in order for me to go God's way, I have to place myself under the authority of Jesus. I have to submit to Jesus. He becomes, what are the words that Jude says? He becomes my master and my Lord. He's my owner. Offensive, I get it, but he owns me. And then when that happens, does God become my father? Yes, does he love me very personally? Absolutely, okay? The, the, the truth of the gospel is that, that Jesus loves you very personally. The fact that, that Jesus was crucified, raised to new life is proof that Jesus loves you personally. I wanna make that very, very clear. Are we clear? Jesus loves you personally, individually, super important. That's not what Jude's talking about. He's not talking about that. He's talking about us building on this idea that, that, that he loves us as a, a group of people. And so the gospel that he's talking about is a, is a new life, ongoing transformation, that the, the grace of God is enough to call us to being a people who are recreated in the image of Jesus and growing in looking more and more like Jesus. An essential part of this life is to pray together, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that, that we would pray together, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Does this mean that we're not supposed to pray? individually inspired by the Holy Spirit. Absolutely not. If we're going to do it together, we absolutely should do it individually. Is this a, a practice that we need to incorporate into our lives individually? Say it for me. Yes. It's never less than personal, but it's more. And he says that you got to pray together as the Spirit inspires you, as the Spirit leads you that we're paying attention to the active communication of God through the Holy Spirit in the way that we are praying. We pray by paying attention to the Holy Spirit's communication and how we are to pray. It's the reason we do all in prayer, so that we would pray together. 
It's the reason we do things like quiet waters. Is it about what God's going to communicate to me personally? Yeah, but how do we do this together? Some of you have never prayed with another follower of Jesus, and I get it. Man, there's a day and time that would have wigged me out. There's still days and times it wigs me out. For different reasons now. Now it's like, well, if... If I pray with another follower of Jesus, they've put a title on me and they think I've got this thing all figured out and they think I'm, I'm evaluating and judging their prayer. I'm not. Well, maybe I am sometimes, but for the most part, I'm just kidding, kind of. And I'm only judging their prayer when they're praying for me and, and I feel like, like when we're praying together and they're saying, I feel like they're lecturing me, like they're trying to teach me through the prayer. Let's not do that. That's, that's not trying to teach each other through prayer. Let's, let's just pay attention to the Holy Spirit and how he's guiding us. And for some of you, this is a brand new concept. For some of you, this is old hat. But for some of you, this is a brand new concept. How do we pray paying attention to the Holy Spirit's communication? And first and foremost, it requires that we would buy into the idea of God's active communication in our life. And so I want to be clear that, that the, the primary way that God communicates to us is through Scripture. Okay, The primary way that God communicates us to us is through scripture. And the only way that we can know that we know that we know that a word of, of something that, that God has revealed to us is true is through scripture. That's the only way that we can know for sure is it's scripture. We believe this is God's self-revelation in writing it can be trusted. It's authoritative. It's the only way that we can know 100% that this is from God. Everything else is kind of on a scale from, I think maybe kind of this might be God, to I'm fairly certain, but I can never be 100%. And so somewhere in that spectrum is the active communication of the Holy Spirit. And what does this look like? It, it really depends on how do you think and how do you communicate and how are you wired? And so if, if you're a person who, who thinks through your emotions, that, that it, it's an active way, it's how you're wired, that you experience uh, emotions deeply, that you could expect that God is going to communicate to you through your emotions. Emotions are not bad. God created emotions. God is an emotional God, okay? I've said that before. I'll keep saying it. If you read the Bible, God is an emotional God. Just read the Gospels. Jesus went through some emotions. He displayed those emotions, and so they're not negative. And so to think that God wired you as an emotional person, but he's not going to use that, that, that doesn't make any sense. And so can God communicate to you through your emotions? Absolutely. Some of you out there, you're thinkers, okay? In fact, you, you could wear proudly the, don't be offended, all right? I just got to set this up. It would have been funnier if I just didn't say that, but some of, somebody's going to be offended. Like, like you, have a, you, you have a t-shirt that says, um, I know stuff and drink beer. Like that's, that's you, right? Like you just know stuff. I know stuff. That's what I do. I, I, like, you can't say how you know stuff. I'm not talking people like you're a studier, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Or like you're like me, like an investigator, you watch YouTube as a profession. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about that, that somehow, some way, I don't know how that I know this. I just know this. Does God communicate through that? Absolutely. 
Does God communicate? Some of you out there, you're very visual people. You think visually a lot. Um, some of you, you, you think in pictures, you, you see movie reels in your head. And so uh, all of a sudden you see this movie reel in your head and you're like, could this be God communicating to me in some way, shape or form? And the answer is, yeah, absolutely. Could that be? The, the first time that I really encountered this that I can go back and I can point to is with a, a guy by the name of Todd Michelson. He's currently our, our campus pastor out in Roan County and we were at another church on staff together. And, and, and he came to me after a staff meeting and he was describing this picture that he had as we were praying together. And I, I had never heard such a thing. And um, I was like, wow, tell me more about this. And as he's describing this to me, I knew what the ending was going to be before he gave me the ending. How did I know it? I don't know. I just knew it. I knew, I knew, I knew it because I know stuff. <laughs> That's how I'm wired. I'm like, this is where this is going. Like, I knew the solution before he got there. And what that did is it was community. It was, it was God speaking through community so that we understood, and it was clear, and it was true, okay? It, it, it was something that had a very concrete kind of result. And you're going, okay, well, that's how God works in community. It's not just on one individual, and it's not like, I have a message from God for you. In fact, here at Two Rivers Church, if you come to another follower of Jesus and, 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 and you say to them, God told me to tell you, okay? We, at that point, we're, we're going to be super cautious. And we're going to be like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. It, it, there's got to be some kind of, I think, maybe, kind of, my impression is. We don't walk around telling each other, God told me to tell you, because then our response is, well, that's cool. When God tells me, then we can have a conversation. <laughs> but it's living together in community close enough that we would actually share that together. And as we do this, the, the encouragement is this is the result. This is the result of word and spirit DNA. And we're going to talk about love and truth next week. We're going to talk about living out love the next week. Okay, this is all pointing us towards 2 John and 3 John. I don't know if you see there, there is a trajectory, even though these are four different letters. Two of them are connected, but two of them aren't. That is kind of leading us on a trajectory that, that we would be a people who embrace love. And, and this is the result, that we are to hold tight to the love Jesus has for y'all and y'all love for him. Jesus loves you personally. Yes? yes? Yes. That's not what he's talking about in this letter. He's saying he loves y'all. What are you talking about? You mean he loves me and me? No, y'all. As his people, Two Rivers Church and every other church that's a true church who's embraced the true gospel, who's part of y'all. He loves y'all. And that means he's calling us to active participation with y'all, that we would love Jesus with other people who are following Jesus. And we demonstrate that in our lives. That in John 14, 15, here's what Jesus says. If y'all love me, y'all will keep my commandments. We've personalized that. And you think that was about you. No, if y'all love me, y'all will do what I say. The community of faith, if y'all love me, y'all will do what I say. It's a collective call. Is it ever less than personal? No, it's always more than personal. It's not enough. It's not enough that you would just follow Jesus on your own. It's just not in the Bible. I'm sorry. We love you enough to tell you that. We have to do it in community. Now, it can look different. Some of you are like, man, I, 
Like if we were going to say, like, what kind of Lego are you and how many connectors, right? Some of you are like, man, they don't even make a Lego big enough for all the connectors that I have in my life, man. I'm, I'm all about that. Some of us, we're two, we're two connector Lego people, and that's okay, all right? It's still me and another follower of Jesus. That, that is the minimum, me and another follower of Jesus, and then me and like a bazillion followers of Jesus, if that's how you're wired. It, it's somewhere on a spectrum. It doesn't mean that it has to look like a specific thing, but it's not just me, and I'm going at this thing on my own. Nope. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. And, and it's demonstrated in community. You see, love is demonstrated in obedience to Jesus. And yes, it's personal obedience, but it's community obedience. It's what Jesus had already taught earlier in John 13 when he says, A new commandment I give to y'all, that y'all love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that y'all are my followers if you have love for one another. Y'all love each other. Y'all, when you come together, you demonstrate the love of Jesus to each other. And so then there's a call to a response. And, and we have confidence, right? We can have confidence because Jesus holds on to us as we wait for his final return. That's what Jude points toward, that there's a coming day when Jesus is coming back. He's pointing to this, this final return of Christ, that there will become a final judgment, that, that we do not have to live in fear. And because we don't live in fear, here's the final thing. Have mercy and rescue those in danger. Both us, those of us in the community of faith, and them, them outside the community of faith. He finally gets to the point of pointing to people outside the community of faith. He divides it into three categories. He says that we should be people who have mercy on those who have doubts. We have mercy on those within the community of faith who have doubts. What's that look like? We allow people to go on a faith journey. We allow people to ask questions. We allow people to doubt things. And, and we don't rush in with quick um, spiritual answers. We don't run, run in with the cliche. We allow the Holy Spirit to work in people over time. And sometimes it's just about our active presence with them. That we're there. That we don't feel like we have to, to avoid the tension of a person saying, man, I'm really struggling. Is God really good because this crisis happened in my world? Can I really trust God because I feel like he betrayed me? And, and we enter into their world. That we, we allow them to go on a faith journey. We, we rescue those people with doubts. We have mercy on those people with doubts. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. What's the fire? It's Revelation 19. It's a final judgment fire. It's those people who are on on the outside of the community of faith who don't even know that there's a coming destruction. And, and we're called to take the good news to them and to rescue them so that they would, it's, it's like snatching them out of the fire. It's a future event that they face. And by them embracing faith today, their, their forever future is transformed. And finally, to others show mercy with fear. There's those that, that are out there. Peter talks about having having caution around people who, who, who we would call them maybe that they're wolf in sheep's clothing, that we need to take great care. And this is the same kind of concept here, that there's maybe those people who are within that we need to take great care, the people maybe that he's warning us about, that they're not beyond hope, even though they've embraced a grace that's less than grace, and there's a destruction that's coming to them, that we should take care, but we should love them enough 
to try and bring them into correction. I read a book in the last couple weeks. It gets rave reviews, okay? It gets rave reviews, and it's, it's talking about um, the, the problems that the American church is facing today. And as I read those reviews, um, man, just, it was being encouraged for just being so bold and forthright, and, and um, I would not give it a five-star review after I read it. In fact, I give it a danger. If this is the hope of the church in America, we are in for a great disappointment. It broke my heart as I read through these reviews and the number of people that I believe are being tricked into believing that our hope is in something other than Jesus. And the real problem with the book is a lot of it is true. A lot of it is true. It's just the stuff that is off is off enough to be deceitful in saying our hope is in something other than Jesus. It breaks my heart. And in particular, this author writes repeatedly about the enemies of God. The enemies of God, he just throws it out there. Enemies of God, the enemies of God. Well, we have to stand up to the enemies of God. The problem is he never defines who the enemies of God are. Who are the enemies of God? I was once. I was once not a follower of Christ. The word for that is the ungodly. The ungodly are those who are opposed to God. The world isn't neutral. So if you want to go after the enemies of God, it's everybody who doesn't know Jesus in a way, but that's not how the gospel is presented. It's presented as that the people that we would say are God's enemies are actually the mission of God. And so without defining who the enemies are, it's all of the thems out there. And we are to have mercy and rescue uh, those out there on them. Those people that we would say, those people. Well, what people? Are you talking about the mission of God people? What, what people group? And here is the people group. It's the people group anywhere from around the world, let alone in our own country, who you would say would never repent and turn to Jesus. Those people who are beyond hope, those people who could never be reached, those people that are beyond, think of those people, and even those people we're supposed to have compassion on. This is an Old Testament idea. This isn't a New Testament concept. There's a whole prophet, there's a whole prophet who wrote a book about this singular idea. It's called Jonah. And the whole book of Jonah is about one thing, and that is that the people of God would have compassion and mercy upon their enemies. Which enemies? The one that you think, if I went to a place around the world and I stepped in and I proclaimed the name of Jesus, I wouldn't make it till sundown before I was killed. That's the call of Jonah. Jonah's not about running away, okay? Nothing to do with running away, but, you know, hey, it's, it's a great little kid story. It's all about being people who are compassionate to the people that we would say are the enemies of God. Our enemies, the enemies of God, are the mission of God. And that means we're to have compassion and to reach out to them. Now, he ends with a flourish. In verse 24 and 25, here's the ultimate hope. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. This isn't based on our power. It's based on who Jesus is. He's able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. 
Our hope is in Jesus. And here's the encouragement. Jesus is holding on to y'all. And that means he's holding on to you in a very personal kind of way, but he's also holding on to us collectively. And here's the thing. If you get hurt and wounded and you flee from the community of faith, there's no hope there. Even if you've been wounded by the community of faith, as we embrace the process of reconciliation and radical forgiveness, we experience the the power of God, restoration, forgiveness, and reconciliation in a relationship that demonstrate the gospel to the world. So the worst thing that we could ever do is get hurt, wounded, or offended and run away from the community of faith. We're now a target out there running around on our own. We need each other. The hope that we have is Jesus is holding on to us collectively. So this week, here's here's the encouragement, right? If you're not doing live it out, do live it out. Why? As a catalyst to start your day, as a catalyst to to engage with with the word and, and the Holy Spirit throughout your day, having an ongoing conversation with Jesus throughout your day. You need Jesus just as much at four o'clock as you do at six o'clock in the morning. What does it look like when you go home and you're like, man, I'm all used up, and now you need Jesus as you walk back into your family? But what we're going to do right now, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask Jesus to help us to imagine something, okay? And so I'm going to ask you, all of our venues, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, okay? I'm going to ask you to do this. And here is what I want you to imagine, okay? Ask Jesus, help me imagine you holding me blameless and filled with joy. What does that look like? your feeler, what does that feel like? His steadfast love won't let you go. He's holding on. Imagine a huge smile across his face. And if you can't imagine this in your mind, just Think of it, a huge smile on the face of Jesus. As he says, you're mine, I'm not letting go. Stay connected to my body. The Jesus of all hope, the Jesus who is our firm foundation, That Jesus is worthy of our worship. Someone invite you to stand. Father, we're grateful that you've given us hope beyond hope, that we are a people who look forward to the coming day when Christ's return, and until that day, that we can live in an active kind of way based upon the truth of your word as the Spirit empowers it so we can demonstrate your love within the community of faith and to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.